Praise the Lord. Yes. God is good. God is good. God is good. Amen. All the time, God is good. I want to come down a little closer to you. I'm going to ask for a little help uh, from my deacons. Let's give the deacons an amen this morning. <laughs> these, these young athletic deacons. Amen. Praise God for them. Um, God is good. Glad to be back from Oshkosh, Bigosh, Wisconsin. You know, that's the whole name. That's the whole name. I didn't know that until I got there. The whole name. Glad to be back. I want you to know that your young people, your pathfinders, I want all the pathfinders and leaders that went to Oshkosh to please stand right now. All, all, the, all the pathfinders, would you please stand right now? They're in the balcony as well. All the young people that went to Oshkosh, let's put our hands together. Our pathfinder leader, let's put our hands together. Others, praise the Lord. You may be seated. I wish you could have been there to, to see how proud you would have been. To see our young people uh, lifting up Jesus and serving him. Now, this was a great experience, and I just want to say to you, and I want everybody to hear me, there are many of you that made sacrifices for our children and for many of us to take that trip to Wisconsin, and we want to all say thank you, thank you, thank you very much. This was life-changing in so many different ways, and uh, there were over 50,000, they say, some say near 60 to 70,000 Seventh-day Adventist Christian young people in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I don't even think the city of Oshkosh has a population greater than 5,000. So you know that it was something to behold, to see seas and seas and seas of pathfinders there serving the Lord. Now, I got a question for you right now before I get into my word. How many of you are master guides? Raise your hand. How many of you are master guides? Now, only the man. Raise your hand. Raise your hand a little higher. Okay. Master guides. All right. Any other master guides? Praise the Lord. Any others? All right. How many of you are a guide in Pathfinders? A guide. We got guides up here. All right. Brother Cameron, we need you to work with Pathfinders. The others over here, the master guide, we need you Pathfinders. Got some other. Now, nobody ain't going to admit that they're a master guide now. <laughs> I will tell you this. When I went on this trip, I was excited to go to support the club. But after having left, Man, the Pathfinder spirit has been renewed in me. I'm telling you, saints, this is one of the best things that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has to offer its young people. It was amazing. And, 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 and the, the amazing thing is that with all those folks there, there was no incident or accident. But some of you heard recently that on the way back, we had a group of Pathfinders from Great Britain who were on their way back to Atlanta to catch a flight on a bus. And the bus caught on fire. Not one of the 50 young people that were on that bus lost their lives. The only thing they lost was a few belongings. Some of them lost their passports. But some of you may recall a few years ago, the last, uh, maybe two Oshkoshes ago, two Camperies ago, there were tornadoes that came upon uh, uh, the, uh, the grounds. And it said that the two tornadoes actually split in, in different directions and bypassed the campgrounds. I'm just glad to know today with all the young people that went there that God protected his people from the hand of the enemy, from the hand of the enemy so that we might worship and give glory to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm anxious to get into the word. I just want to remind you before I do, as you're getting ready to go to first, uh, second Kings, I should say, second Kings chapter 20, 
Um, tomorrow we have a church business meeting. Now, I'm not going to tell you now what it's about because you might be tempted to not even listen to the sermon. But I will tell you what the business meeting is about at the end of uh, the message uh, towards our benediction. There's a very important meeting tomorrow, and I suspect that when I tell you what the item is on the agenda for our consideration, that we may have record numbers in attendance tomorrow at business meeting. So business meeting will be tomorrow at 10 o'clock, and we really need every member of Glenville. If you are a member of Glenville, we need you to be here tomorrow for very important dialogue and discussion and decisions that need to be made as we go forward. Would you say amen? All right. We are in our 40 for Family series. Your Bible is with you. Your iPad is with you. Go to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. And uh, we're going to look at verse 12. 2 Kings chapter 20. And we're going to look at verse 12. 2 Kings chapter 20. We're going to look at verse 12 through 19. Then we're going to go to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter uh, 32. We're going to look at verses 24 through 26. And then we're going to hop on over to 2 Chronicles 33, verses 1 through 9. One more time, First King, I mean, 2 Kings, rather, chapter 20, 12 through 19. And then we're going to bounce to 2 Chronicles 32, verses 24 through 36. And then we're going to move right on over to 2 Chronicles 33, verses 1 through 9. One more time, First King, 2 Kings, rather, chapter 20, verses 12 through 19. We're going to bounce over to... Second Chronicles chapter 32, verses 24 through 26. And then we'll end at Second Chronicles chapter 33, verses 1 through 9. If you're excited about the word of God today, would you say amen? amen. All right, here we are. Second Kings chapter 20. And I want to tell you on the front end, what I simply want to deal with today is what is the secret sauce? You know, everybody's got like a, a secret recipe or a secret sauce. I mean, any good cooks out there know what I'm talking about? That, that, that won't tell nobody? That won't tell nobody you really stole, uh, you know, uh, Colonel, Colonel Sanders' recipe on your fried chicken? Um, <laughs> oh, you don't make fried chicken. Okay, all right. So, some, of, some of us have these secret recipes. And, some, and I've noticed some folk, uh, they won't even want to share and tell nobody what they... Re- because what happens is if you begin to share the secret then you become irrelevant. I think that's the thought process. If I tell them how good my greens are, and I can, I can make some greens. I just I feel like I can. I can make some greens. But I don't mind sharing. I, I, there is a secret sauce, if you please, to the salvation of your children. There is a secret sauce to the salvation of your children. There's a secret sauce to making sure that your children get from planet Earth to the New Jerusalem. How many want to know what it takes to get your children saved? Now, I want to make a disclaimer on the front end. Many of us look on the outward appearance When it comes to people's children, let me back up. I'm back up a little bit more. Many of us don't like children. (laughs) Listen to what I'm about to say. I need to preface this. One of the hardest subjects to preach and teach on 
is parenting. Because when you start preaching and teaching on parenting, the assumption is, is that the person that is speaking and teaching on it is somehow an expert on the subject. There's a lot of stuff folks don't want to talk about in church. You, you hear very little people teaching on sex because no one wants to be known as a sex expert. <laughs> sexpert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sexpert. <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. When it comes to raising children, everybody has an opinion. Amen. But very few of us, when asked, will get up and speak to the issue because you almost feel like you might jinx yourself if you speak too quickly about how one should raise their children, especially if you have children. How many of you have children and know that it is the, the hardest thing in the world? The thing that demands the most of you is to raise children. Let the church say amen. Tough. So I got to tell you that me sharing this with you today is not an open door for you to gaze intently with great scrutiny at my family. Especially now. Now I want to jump back to my initial statement. Most of us do not like children. We like children that act like adults. I'm going to say that one more time. When we begin to talk about good kids, what we are really identifying are kids that behave like adults. We have very little toleration for children and, ch and child development. Case in point, we tell children not to run. Now, especially if they are somewhere in the first early developmental stage that, that one to five years old. Interestingly, those of you who are master guides, I was going through the master guide information because I'm getting ready to get my master guide. And to me, that's actually, that, I'm more excited about my master guide than I am about my doctorate. I mean, that's an average. Seriously, I'm really, I can't wait to get that. Now, you call me master guide. You don't got to call me doctor, but I want you to call me master guide, right? But anyway, so, so I'm not, and one of the things that a master guide must know is they must understand child development. See, now, most of us out here, we just are around children, so we don't too much care about child development. We just want kids to be seen and not heard. And the kids that we like are the kids that are not too hyper, that are, that are not too talkative, that stay away from us, stay out of our way, that are not, that are not nagging, that, are not, that don't get on your nerves. Now, 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 now help me out here. And I studied child development. If a child does not have those characteristics, especially in certain developmental stages, then there is something wrong with them. And when I was a child, I got to get this off my chest before I get into the text. When I was a child, people said to my parents, 
He ain't going to be nothing. Look how hyper he is. Look how wild he is. Look how talkative he is. Not knowing that God was actually grooming all of those characteristics and all of those things inside of me to make something out of me. And I want, us to, I want to caution us before I get in this word today that we don't speak too quickly about the destination of children simply because they get on your nerves or they were not raised the way you were raised. And here's the burden that I really want to touch on today. I, I want to talk about the secret sauce, if you please. To, what does it take to have great children? Everybody wants successful children. All of us, and really, the truth of the matter is, is we really want kids to make us look good. We are simply living vicariously through our children and using them to make us look good. Most of us parent in very self-centered ways. My wife and I vowed we will not allow the opinions of other people regarding our children to determine and to dictate how we raise them. I don't care what your opinion is. Especially if you don't love me. And, and now, now let, me, let me turn. You have to embrace the same mindset when it comes to your children. And when, I'm, when I say your children, I'm using that in the most broad sense. I, I, I want to be clear. All the children in Glenville are my children. And they're not my children because I'm the pastor. They are my children because I, I, and this is, I can't wait to talk about this in the coming weeks. Do you realize that when you became a Christian, that when you became a Christian, the relationship that you and I now have because of being born again and being baptized is stronger and greater than blood family. And so when we enter into the body of Christ relationship, then now all the children belong to us. It's not their children. And this is one of the reasons why the pastor never walks by children intentionally without speaking to them. Some of us, man, we don't even realize one day, and I know this story, I've seen this happen before. One day you're going to get in trouble and one of the kids that you thought was a pain in your behind is going to be the ER doctor. It's going to be the lawyer. It's going to be the accountant. It's going to be the person that works in the IRS because you're back on your taxes and they remember you. And I want to know, what are they going to remember about you? What are they going to remember about how you treated them? What are they going to remember about how you cared for them? What are they going to remember about the comparisons that you would make between your children and theirs? What are they going to remember? The greatest commodity that we have in Glenville, I don't say this without hesitation, fear of equivocation, or fear of contradiction, the greatest commodity that we have in Glenville, and I want everybody to embrace this today, are the young people in our church. The greatest thing that exists in this church that God has given us are the young people in our church. There is nothing more important in this church than the the young people in our church. There is no greater agenda. There is no thing of any more importance than making sure that we as adults are pouring into the lives of the next generation. Everybody. I, I, I'm a, youth ministries ain't my ministry. It may not be your ministry, but the word of God says if you lead one of these little ones astray, it'll be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and for you to be cast into the depths of the sea. 
every member in the church ought to be concerned about the salvation of every young person in the church. I need to hear myself a little bit louder. You don't walk by kids. You're walking by greatness. You're walking by anointed people. You're walking by people. It's not the church of tomorrow. Oh, I can't stand that. That's that wait your turn kind of mess. They are the church of right now. Do you realize in North America, North America, that the median age in North America, the average age in North America, the average age in North America is 36 Say that one more time. Don't got much to say today. But I got a lot of depth of what I want to say. The average age in North America, 36 years old. The average age in the church, 59. Now, I need 10 young people who are willing to come forward right now. I need you to come quick. I need 10 young people. And when I say young, I mean under 21. 10 young people right now. 10. Let's go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. That's it. I'll take you two. Let me count it. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Have mercy. Now, I'm not good at math, so y'all just roll with me, okay? I'm not good at math at all. So now, the median age in North America is what, everybody? 36. What is it, everybody? 36. What is the median age in the Seventh-day Adventist church? 59. 59. What does that mean? That means that the church is graying. Okay. Another way of saying that, and I know many of you will probably take offense to this, but please understand where we're coming from. Another way of saying that is that the church is dying. Okay. Now, I got another statistic for you that's going to set up my text today. All right. Are you ready for this? The statistics show that by the time they are 15 years old, and let's just assume that they're all under 15, and we know that they're not all now. By the time they're 15, year old, 15 years old, and they grew up in this church, go to your seat, 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 go to your seat. 70%. I need your attention. You saw all those kids standing here? This this ain't Edmund's making up something because I have an agenda. You go and do the research at the archives of the North American Division and the General Conference. Call them, 301-680-6000. That's what I did. The studies are showing right now that out of all the kids that we had here, 70% of them will make up their mind before they're 15 that they will not come back. Now, of these that remain, 
I'm going to show you the trend that is happening in the church. Three of them will marry outside the church. Now, I know you're saying, well, 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 everybody in the church, okay, but let me just tell you the result of that. The result of that is, is that more than likely their children, y'all not hearing me, their children will not be believers. The one that does remain will do very well for herself. She will succeed, but when she comes back after graduating from college and getting her degree, she will sit on the sidelines in church because the church she left when she went to school is not the church that she wants to return to when she comes back. She's got her CPA or she's got her JD or she's got her PhD, but when she comes back, she's still treated like she's little. So, so, so I want you to, so yes, praise God, four stayed. Come on, praise the Lord. Four stayed. But as I go around Cleveland, you walk all, stay right here, ladies. You, you walk all up and I'm telling this is happening every day. I said, I got it. I had a, another message I wanted to preach. Lord said, no, you got to talk about this. Every day I'm walking amongst the streets of Cleveland and I'm running into former members of Glenville. Now, can I tell you, now, 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 this is not scientific, but this is just based on my observation. One of the things I noticed was this, that many of them are between the ages of 45 and 50. What does that, what does that mean, Pastor? That means that there's a generation that was born in the, those that were born, those that are in their 50s were born in the 60s, I want to say, Right? You were born in the 60s, right? And anybody out here 50 who's honest enough to admit uh, when you were born? You were born, was, am I right, around the 60s? Uh, you were born during the most tumultuous time and transitional time in United States history, the 60s. And what happened in the 60s was a total contradiction of what was happening in the church. The world was changing, but the church was becoming more rigid, more legalistic more conservative, and less youth-friendly. So that Craig came back in his 50s, late 40s. And I can pick a number of you out here who left the church. Come on, talk to me, somebody. And came back, and many of you came back when you were in your settled-down years, your late 30s, early 40s, or in your 50s. Uh, The point is, is that what that simply suggests to us is that the the church that we have designed is a church that is only appealing to those folks who have settled down. It's not appealing to young people who have vision and who have creativity and who have energy and who have ideas, who lack wisdom, but they have but they have, but they have courage to try stuff and do stuff and dream stuff. Now, Joel says this. Joel says that in the last days, he says, my spirit will be poured out on all flesh. He says, young men will dream dreams. 
old men would see visions. Now, what I am not preaching for today is for an all-youth church. What I'm preaching for today is an intergenerational church that takes dreams and visions and brings them together for the salvation of the world. But I want to ask you a question. I mean, if, 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 uh, case in point, if you were losing money in your bank account every day, Mercy. if you were losing money in your bank account every day, yeah. you would stop at nothing to find out what was going on, right? Well, I got, I got some currency that you're losing every day. And, I, and, I, you know, and if I had the, the courage of John the Baptist, I would call out names today of young people in this church who I can look at and tell they're going to leave. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be straightforward with you today. I can look at certain young people and tell you they're not going to be here. If they keep going the way they're going, they will not. And I'm going to tell you, here's the pattern. The pattern is this. They become disenfranchised with church. Just a few of them. They just get, you know, they're not really in. They, they, they're on the basketball team. Uh, they're in Pathfinders. Uh, they'll show up the Sabbath. See, they're in church, but church ain't in them. And there's a common denominator with all of them, most of them. And I'm going to get into that in a moment. But the issue I can tell you, I can look and tell you Johnny ain't going to be in church. He will not marry a godly woman. She will not marry a godly man. And I'm going to tell you right now, it it is in the unions of relationship, be it shacking up, uh, having a baby with somebody else, or getting married, that we begin to see the falling away from the church. You ladies can sit down. Give them a round of applause. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? Now, here it is. If I can see it, I know you can see it. Oh, come on now. I mean, I don't see it because I'm the pastor. I see it because I got eyes. Do you not see the pattern? And we think that if they're in the activities and in the ministries and and we get mad when certain stuff doesn't happen in the church and that we don't have this and we don't have that and they're not in this and they're not in Pathfinders and they're not in AYS and we we don't have this and there's no Sabbath school and all these things. And I want to tell you something right now. Understand this. If you bring your child to Sabbath school, service, AYS, children's church, pathfinders, revivals, none of those things are guarantors or predictors that they will stay in the church. I'm saying there is a crisis. Yo! There is a crisis. Wake up. Does it bother anybody that out of 10 children, seven are going to leave the church? And here's the enemy. This is what he likes to do. Look, I praise God for all the ones that left and came back. But here's the plan of the enemy. He wants to so see Satan doesn't care that if you leave you come back. Okay? 
Because when you're out there in the world, he wants to so drain you and steal all your creativity, all your vitality, all your passion, all your love, all your trust. Oh, you're not hearing me. So that by the time you come back, praise God, praise God, you're back. But when you get back, you're so weary worn, so beaten down. You got so many issues that you can't even serve God the way that God intended you to serve him years ago. But I want you to see there is a window. There is a window of time that Satan is simply trying to keep us out of the church. Oh, I'm trying to break this thing down. Please hear me this morning. There is a window. I want you to hear. There is a window of time that Satan says, if I can keep them away from the church in this window, then I will have totally neutralized the power of the church. I will have raised up a church of attenders who simply come, enjoy service, but they're too tired, too worn down, too, too much work, too much family, too much uh, child support, too much this, too much that, too much marital problems. They're so weighed down by life, they have nothing to render. There's a window. That window is 12 to 21. I want to I I clarify something. Show you a scripture and move. Here's the misnomer. When I tell you the secret sauce, some of you are going to be, when I tell you the secret sauce, here's the problem. Many of you are going to have to radically change your lifestyle. Watch this. One boy, one girl. They hear me preach all the time. They had coaxed them. No, I'm, 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 I'm not saying this to be arrogant. Okay? This is, what I'm about to say to you, please do. Oh, is that, is that Christian? <laughs> now, for some folk, that bothers them. I'm so used to that stuff, it doesn't bother me anymore. But, Christian, I need you to cooperate right now. <laughs> please, don't, please don't see this as arrogance. I preach for youth events all over the world. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. Give him a beanie. Does he need a beanie? Because I, I don't want them to miss this part right here. Y'all know I love that boy, but I, I need them to hear this right now. I am invited all over the world to speak to family issues and young people. The pastor you just had is now climbing that ladder. John Coxum's name being called. All right, you got those two things? Our Pathfinder ministry is amazing. We have Rama, a Seventh-day Adventist school that has crossed over the 100 mark in attendance. Listen, shh, shh, shh. 
you got basketball, you've got Friday night lights, you got, you got, uh, uh, what I'm trying to say is, is this church compared to other churches, Brother Davis, is wealthy. There are folk who listen to our broadcasts every week because they like my preaching. Or they like our praise and worship. Or they like, they like whatever they like about the church. People have made videos about what's going on at Glenville. With all of those blessings, I perceive that it has not made the kind of impact here that it is making other places. If you go to hell at Glenville, young people, then you won't make it nowhere. Y'all know, anybody from New York City know what I'm talking about? They say, listen, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere, right? If, if you are lost in this city, with all the stuff we got going on, uh, we may not have as much as we have in t- past time. I know some of us are very nostalgic and say it was good. It was gooder in the good old days. But nevertheless, if the spiritual resources that we have at this church could be equated to money, we would be wealthy. But a lot of our kids are on their way to hell right now. I can look and tell based on some secrets. The decisions that they are going to make that are going to set them, please don't misunderstand me, that are going to set them up to leave the fellowship of believers. Now, I've got to preface this by saying this. I really have one point. You can come from a great home with a mother and father who love the Lord and your children still leave the church. Amen? And then the flip side is too, and I'm not going to get some witnesses on this, you can come from a home where you don't even know your daddy, your mama don't care too much about the Lord, don't come to church, and all the kids in that family be saved. So, it's not just who you live with that determines the destination. But neither is it a crapshoot. What am I saying? What I'm saying is, is it's not, uh, uh, well, pastor, if, 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 if you can become for have good parents and still be lost, then what's the secret sauce? Or if you can have kids that come from hell and get saved 
and sometimes, in many cases, be the most committed people. I'm just working it out of my mind. I don't get how we bring our kids to all this stuff and they still leave the church. And as a parent, I'm worried. Be honest with me, saints. Are there not more out there than there are in here that used to be a part of this? Doesn't it all bother you that you've had the greatest preachers and the greatest of this and the greatest elders and the greatest ministries and the biggest church in the conference and all this stuff and yet we still lose more than we keep? Some of you are saints so far as I can see it. And it ain't none of your children. None of your children have accepted the faith that you declare. How? How does that happen? Where all of us know Jesus and all of us have the Holy Ghost and we have the spirit of prophecy and we have the Bible and we have preaching and we have worship and we're breaking chains and we're lifting up praises and we're, we're preaching an evangelistic series and we're sending our kids to Oshkosh and yet the numbers say that we are losing more than we are keeping. How? I want to show you. Then I'm done. Second Kings 21. Twenty, rather. The Bible says, at that time, in verse 12, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messengers and showed them all that was in his storehouses. The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Are you still with me? Then Isaiah, the prophet, went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say, and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, what did they see? (laughs) In your palace. They saw everything in my palace. Hezekiah said, 
there is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Now watch this. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this word, God. Then Isaiah, the prophet, said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some, now here's the point. And some, when I saw this, I I literally fell out of my seat. And some of your descendants, the King James Version says, your sons. Other versions say, Andrew, your children. And some of your descendants, your children, your own flesh and blood, that will be born to you will be taken away. By the way, let me say this as the Holy Spirit is telling me to say it. There are some single folk out here, single folk. You have no children, but you will. And the way that you behave now is going to determine how your children are going to be. That's right. So for those singles in here who feel that this word does not apply to them, let me help you. You are what your children will become. Watch this. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood that will be born to you will be taken away. And they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Let me tell you what's going on. Hezekiah was told by the prophet Isaiah, you're going to die. Set your house in order. You remember that? You remember that? You're going to die. The Bible says Hezekiah turned in desperation toward heaven and said, God, please don't kill me. Have mercy on me, God. Give me another chance. The Bible says that God changed his mind on account of the prayers of Hezekiah. Now, now, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get happy for a minute because if I were God and I knew what Hezekiah was going to do in the 15 years that God gave him extra, I would have killed him. Somebody on here ought to give God some praise that he answered your prayer and he knew you weren't even going to live right. Be grateful. Thank him. Serve him after the blessing. The scripture says that God heard his prayer, changed his mind, and said, I'll give you 15 more years. Hezekiah was 39. How old was he, everybody? In between those 15 years, he had a son. 
His son's name is Manasseh. Manasseh, let me start, Hezekiah, according to the scripture, was considered to be the greatest king that ever lived beside David. The Bible says, and if you read Kings and Chronicles, those of you Bible students, it will always give an introduction first. It'll say, so-and-so was king, such-and-such was his mother, and he reigned for so, so many years. And then it will tell you this, he did that which, which was right in the eyes of the Lord, or he did that which was evil. And when it came to Hezekiah, it says this of Hezekiah. It says that Hezekiah was a king, so-and-so was his mother, he reigned for so many years. And notice what it says, he did more right than any of the kings that have ever preceded him. But his son was the most wicked king ever. And Manasseh reigned for the longest period of time of any other king. He reigned in wickedness for 55 years. He's coming. It's coming. Here's my question. God comes to Hezekiah. I'm going to kill you. Hezekiah prays. Don't let it happen. Hezekiah was a praying king. In another instance, the Assyrian armies came together, like 200,000 of them said, we're coming to kill you and don't pray to your God. Hezekiah prayed to his God. God sent one angel and one angel killed 185,000 soldiers in a split second. So what I'm saying is, is Hezekiah knows about the power of prayer. He knows what God will do. If I got anybody out here that can agree, come on now, now I know you're not where you ought to be, but is there anybody here today that knows that God is power? Has God done anything in anybody's life in here that shocked you? Where you said, oh my God, I prayed, but I didn't expect that. Now watch this. Watch this. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I feel God. Say somebody today is going to be set free. The Bible says God came to him and said, look, you're going to die. Hezekiah prayed. God changed his mind. Then an envoy from Babylon heard about the miracle and said, we want to hear what God has done for you. When they got there, Hezekiah didn't say nothing about God, but he showed them all of his stuff, showed them all of his wealth, showed them all of his successes. It really wasn't his, but he showed them all God's stuff, took the credit for it, and then the prophet Isaiah shows up again. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word. Those folk that came to see you, what did you show them? I, show, I showed them all. Why'd they come? Well, they came to dinner. And then the prophecy comes. Watch this. Prophecy is this. Because of what you have done, because of what you have done, everything that you showed them is going to be carried off. Now, wait on it. Wait on it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. Wait for it. Then, this is what blows my mind. 
The Bible says, the prophecy then says, in addition to losing all your stuff, you're going to lose your kids. Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You didn't, you didn't pray and fast all week long and go through hell not to miss this one right here. Watch this. Hezekiah was known for hearing something from God, praying, and God working a miracle. He was tested twice with the army, then tested another time with his health. And in each instance, when he prayed, God would work a miracle. Now, now here's here's the problem. When the prophet told him that your kids are going to lose their way and perish, notice what he says. Look down at verse 19. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Y'all not even paying attention. Man, I mean, come on, bro. <laughs> he just told him all your kids gonna be lost and you know what his reaction was oh, I'm glad it ain't gonna happen in my lifetime he is, as a matter of fact first thing he said is oh this is a good word you know why? Because Hezekiah was assuming that the word of judgment coming to him was going to be a, a punishment on him. When he found out that the punishment was not going to be on him and on the next generation, he didn't even care, Cece. Praise God, it ain't going to be me. Now I'm done. The same spirit in Hezekiah is the same spirit in the church right now. That's why a good person like Hezekiah can produce a wicked son. Because he didn't care about the most important thing. The salvation of his kids. Now, hold on, my brother, because I ain't done. Yeah, I was gone last week. You know I'm going to get this thing out. Your kids are going to be lost. It ain't going to be me. I, I, let me change it up so you understand it. Those aren't my children. Look all in that balcony. Look anywhere you see young people. Those ain't mine. You see them standing in the hallway doing service. You walk right past them. You're going to get your blessing. Or, or you see them acting up and you start running your satanic mouth. 
about them and how they act and how they behaved. And, uh, or, or many of us, and here's where most of us fall in. Most of us fall in the category of indifference. We're just indifferent to kids. We're just indifferent. They're not mine. I'm trying to get married. I'm trying to do my thing. I'm trying to, and what we're doing is we're walking past a judged generation. Okay. We are living in, in a time where homosexuality is not just a it's not a most of these kids that claim they're gay are not. They just mad at heterosexuals. They're mad at men for my sisters. Or the young brother is mad at his uncle. And I look at the posts. And I'm following the Instagrams and the Facebooks and I'm praying over my children. And they come from good families. They pay their taxes and they attend church on Sabbath and and they love the Lord and and they lift hands and worship. But these same kids are in here but out there. And the first reason is because our number one concern is us and not them being saved. You may say, Pastor, now, now, no, Pastor, don't. Now, you know, I want my kids to be saved. I want my grandkids to be saved. How are you going to say that? Can I tell you how? Everything we do in this church is about to get tight for a minute. If the music, now, let me be clear here. Up-tempo music doesn't save anybody. But if it will hold their interest, if they will invite their friends, pump it up. Many of us complain about the change in the church, even though the majority of the people who are making decisions for Christ are young people. There ought to be a doggone celebration up in here because we're seeing young prodigals and old prodigals coming back. But still, there are many of us who are mad because church is not the way it was. If you want your kids to be saved, then you will be willing to give up. A few hymns. For a few praise songs. A dress code. For a generation of children who do not own church clothes. A 
No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. When I have family worship at home, everything we do in our family worship is designed for Camden and Taylor. Well, why would you do that, Pastor? Because me and Shanae's ultimate responsibility is to get our kids saved, not to sit up in there and sing our favorite songs. My son and daughter are into gospel hip-hop. Now, some of us are tripping on the praise and worship. Listen, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. In 10 years, the church that you see here now that bothers you, Lord have mercy. The church you will see when my son and daughter They're not going to be pushing for praise and worship. They're going to be pushing for a whole set of gospel rap. (laughs) Let me give you a few points and let you go. I think you're getting it. We're not sending our kids to our schools. By the way, you know the value Genesis research? Does anybody know about that? Seventh, y'all don't know, y'all don't know about what happened? You, did you know about a value Genesis study one and two? I hear a few. But can I tell you what happened? They did a study on Seventh day Adventists and Christian kids from a, over a 10 year period of time, from 15 to 25, they charted their course. And they discovered why kids leave and why kids stay. Can I tell you why? Some day Adventists, they commissioned this study. You can get a copy of it. Go, 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 go get it. You know what they discovered? They said there are a few predictors. And now, now be easy on the word predictor because predictor makes some folk feel like guarantee. There is nothing that is a guarantee in the area of spiritual things. But what they said is, is for those that stayed, here are the things that were involved in them staying. Emotionally stable parents. Whoa, pastor, what are you saying? Some of us don't know how to treat our children because we're so broken and and our brokenness has us very mean and, and abusive. And we do it in the name of the Lord. Some of us money, it's disrespectful. I hope this for our kids to ask why. Keep, keep doing that. And what's going to happen is, is all the stuff that you told them that you would not give them an answer for, they are going to reject it. The Bible says that when Manasseh became king, listen to the word that's used. The Bible says Manasseh rebuilt the idols. Rebuilt suggests that they were there before. But who tore them down? His father. So Manasseh's wickedness was really a, it was a response. It was a rebellion to his dad. That's why when I go preach places, I take my children with me. 
Because I, listen, brothers and sisters, I want all of y'all to be saved. I want, oh, I, but if, if I, so many preachers and leaders' kids hate the church because they really hate their parents walk with God. Emotionally stable parents. Second thing, a great marriage. These are predictors. A great marriage. So some folks say to me, Pastor, we were going to try to stick this thing out. But we were on, the only reason why we stayed in it is because of our children. And now that's an that, Some people agree with that. Well, don't stay together for your children. Brothers and sisters, are you out of your cotton-picking mind? I don't care if you ain't in love. I don't care if you ain't having no sex. I, I don't care. You fight for that marriage for your children. For your children. Tell me, well, the only reason why we're together is for the kids. That's right. why God brings man and wife together is to reproduce the image of God and if Shanae and I have got to fight this thing out so that Candid and Taylor will grow up with a chance number three the third thing they send their children They are committed to Christian education. I lost everybody on that. My grandmother was a nurse's aide and she cleaned houses. She sent all eight of her children to Rama, the other Rama in Savannah, Georgia. Pine Forge Academy. And she did that on nothing but faith in God. Now, what you're going to tell me is, is our schools are not academically sound. Our schools are not, uh, uh, the folk over there just as well. And pastor, now we're letting all these worldly kids into our school. You're doggone right. Because if, Mr. Cameron, and I'm going to tell you now, if we will not send our kids to Rama, then you ought to accept every child from every corner and every street in this community. Somebody has got to receive what God is pouring out of that school. Somebody has got to get it. It's about to get tight. We are more interested in them getting jobs, in them becoming great. And I want to tell you now, I went to Oakwood College with folks who went through Christian education and many of them who are doing very well for themselves. They have doctors and lawyers and so forth and so on. And I get on and they're just as worldly and they have it all. 
They've got the job. They've got the cute wife. They've got the cute kids. And they show up to church at 12 and get mad when the preacher preaches past 2 o'clock. They are Laodicean. Now, why does it matter? Because the the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a unique mission and responsibility to preach the three angels' messages, to hold up the standard of the Sabbath, to preach the second coming of Jesus Christ, to be able to stand in a day and age where their religious liberties and freedoms will be taken from them. Can you not even see it now? A black man has no freedom. He can walk down the street and get shot dead. Why do I send my kids to? Now they'll be at Oakwood. Many of us now are giving our kids a choice. Where you want to go to school? Or, or they didn't want to go. Oh, Jesus, help me not to cuss, Lord. Please help me. Please. They didn't want to go. Who's one in your house? I was going to send them to Pine Forge, but when they got there, they didn't like it. Don't nobody like Pine Forge when they first get there. Especially when you've been used to living in a worldly house and then you got to go someplace where they make you go to worship and they make you study and they make you pray and they make you go to revival and they make, oh, y'all not hearing me. Every kid I hear that says they don't like Christian education, they don't like it because they don't like the Holy Ghost that's moving all over the campus and it keeps them from not doing whatever the heck they want to do. The other predictor. Family worship. I'll move on. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. Perceived converted parents. Okay, what am I saying? That these young people study. I don't know about you, but my kids watch me. And, I, and now they are calling me out. Now, when I was raised, if I called my parents out, even if I was right, I was going to get a behind whooping. But see, I'm trying to teach my children that you follow my, what I do. Don't just do as I say and not as I do. That's how many of you are. You tell them what to do, and then you go ahead and do the opposite. So if I'm wrong, call me on it. Converted. What does that mean, Pastor? Here's a question. Many of you out there are not born again. How do I know that? The last reason. Here's the last reason. These are the conditions. Kids, they suggest that stay in the church and become workers for God. 
We're primary. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. This is, this, is why, this is all I'm doing here. Our primary, primarily have been taught the gospel, the what everybody? At home. Okay. 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 We think, Akil, send them to church. Sit next to me. Go to AY. Go to Pathfinders. Let me help you out and understand what the Pathfinders, AY, the church service, the preacher, the youth pastor, all that kind of stuff, is secondary to spiritual growth. Christian education is secondary. Last night, the Holy Ghost, as I'm preparing this sermon, this is at 9 o'clock at night, said, I need to ask my kids again if they understand what the gospel is. There are many of you in here who do not even have spiritual conversations with your kids with a Bible open. Okay. Your children ought to know the gospel. And they ought to learn that not from the Bible worker, not from the pastor, but from you. No, I know that's an easy amen, but let me, let me help you out here. The gospel is not the Ten Commandments. The gospel is not keep the Sabbath. The gospel is not when you die, you don't go to heaven. The gospel is teaching them about the love of Jesus Christ and God's power to save anybody, forgive anybody, be merciful to anybody. You ought to know how to teach that. Amen. Please hear me. Many of us have outsourced spiritual development to iPads. Let, let, me, let, let me tell you something else. My kids have this thing, and they both have iPads. My kids have this thing where, without even thinking about it, first thing they do, can I see your phone? Can I see your iPad? So my wife and I said, enough of this. Most of Let's be honest. And many of us think it's strange to even say this. Most of our children spend more time on TV, social media, on their mobile devices than they do in the word of God. Because you do the same thing. Our homes are not church. It doesn't matter what we do in here. Y'all live six days a week in another church. And in that church, y'all don't have the word. Y'all ain't singing to the glory of God. There's nobody teaching anybody how to praise him. Now check this out. This is why I'm done. My kids ain't perfect right now. But I know that I'm sowing. 
I know that I'm making an investment. And there are times that my wife and I look at our children and we get discouraged. But then the Holy Ghost reminds me, just set the conditions. Just create the environment. Keep teaching the gospel. Keep living the gospel. And in a little while, then you can claim the text that says, train up a child. I'm going to add this since I'm here. My kids just ain't interested in church. Can I suggest something? Then how about you? You can't sit on this front row, but you can probably sit here or there. If you want your kids to get interested in church, you start acting overly interested. My kids, and some of your kids, we're having Go Sabbath today. We're going out in the community. And some of y'all ain't going to go. And then you're going to go home and pray for the salvation of your kids. Take take your car if you can't walk. Do a drive-by. And bring those kids out this afternoon just so that they can know that this is what it's about. I really don't want to let this go because this thing drives me crazy. Our homes are not spiritual. And we want the church to do magic on our kids. I'm going to start here. If there is a young person here today that feels far from God, I want you to come down here right now. I want my praise team to come stand here right now. Come, praise team. Gather your mics and come. Hold on. No movement. It's not time for people to be leaving to go and get to eat. Are there any young people that feel the world pulling them? Come. Seven, eight, nine, ten. 